they are not derivative of WordPress code. They can be treated as a separate bundled assets and do not need to be licensed under the GDPR. This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by Pagely. Pagely, where we help big brands scale WordPress, it's enterprise WordPress hosting in the Amazon cloud. If you're building big, powerful WordPress websites for your clients, you need big, powerful hosting, and Pagely delivers. I use Pagely for my websites and e-commerce shops, so I trust their service, and I have no issues recommending them to you. Look, I only bring on sponsors that I trust. And who else trusts Pagely? Verizon, eBay, Disney, Twitter, and more. You can see that right on the homepage of their website. Pagely is the OG of WordPress managed hosting, and they're innovating the market every single day. If your clients trust you to write scalable code, then trust Pagely to host it for you. Check out pagely.com. Welcome to episode 10 of season four of The Matt Report. And today we're talking to Richard Best, WP and LegalStuff.com. This is an amazing episode for anyone looking to learn a little bit more or a lot more about the GPL, uh, writing GPL compatible software, forking other GPL compatible software. Uh, it's just a really deep dive uh, into that that world that so many of us are uh, in the dark about because we're just we're just not lawyers and we don't really fully understand what the GPL is all about. You can learn more about Richard at wpandlegalstuff.com. He's got a great ebook. I recommend everyone who's getting into the space of product and delivering GPL code to their clients, even in client services, to check out his website and the material he has over there. As always, mattreport.com slash subscribe. If you're enjoying season four, I would love a five-star review in iTunes. It really helps us get found uh, and really helps the show uh, stay on track. And thanks to our sponsors this season, Pagely and Valet. Let's get into the show. Hey, Richard. Welcome to the program. Hey, mate. Good to be here. Thanks. I'm over on your website right now, wpandlegalstuff.com. And I just want to throw out some of the headlines that, sure. that, you, have, that you have posted here. Commercial theme suppliers selling themselves short. Content scraper plugins, contract, and copyright. Selling themes yourself and on ThemeForest, but with inconsistent licensing. Um, a human readable summary of the GPL. And you also have an ebook. Uh, that covers specifically, uh, well, the title, Practical Guide to WordPress and the GPL, uh, for folks who are in the WordPress space, building products and services and kind of getting, you know, trying to get that legal perspective of what the GPL means. So yep. that is me just staging some of the awesome stuff <laughs> that you have published on the web and the reason why I wanted to have this conversation today. But for folks who don't know who you are, give us that elevator pitch of who you are and what you do. Oh, thanks, Matt. Uh, thanks very much for the kind introduction. And, and look, before I get into me, I, I just wanted to say thanks for having me on the show. Um, I've been a keen listener of the Matt Report for years now, and and I think you know you you were one of the first to come out with a WordPress business related podcast, and I really have um, learned a lot from it. So I, I thank you um, genuinely for all the effort you put into it. it must be a, a great deal of work. Um, um, as for me. Uh, no surprises, I'm a lawyer. Um, I specialize in what I call technology law. As for me, uh, I'm a lawyer specializing in what I call technology law. That includes all manner of issues relating to the internet, copyright, open source uh, software licensing, open data, IT contracts, 
privacy, social media, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've also been an avid WordPress user since about uh, 2005. I've built plenty of sites with it, um, including a contract generator. So I suppose I used WordPress um, as a bit of an app platform. Uh, built work websites with it, WP and legal stuff, of course, uh, a charity website and some others. Um, I, I do genuinely love what WordPress enables people to do. Uh, and at the same time, because I do what I do, I can see the uh, legal issues that can arise in connection with one's use of it and more broadly within the WordPress ecosystem. I'm very interested to, and we have a, a bunch of questions that we sort of outlined for the show, but one thing just sort of striking me here is looking at your site, uh, sport, especially WPandLegalStuff.com and, and seeing the, the topics that you cover, you have an ebook. This is very, at least in my, I don't know very many lawyers that do this, that, that, that actually, not to say, not the internet law or the technology law, but actually <laughs> do content marketing. They write about the topics that they're, that they're specializing in and then also doing an ebook. Uh, has that been, has that sort of traditional internet marketing, content marketing into a digital product uh, uh, ecosphere been successful for you or, or at least a good driver of business into? Uh... Uh, it's been an interesting experience. I think, I think lawyers uh, generally are uh, getting better and better at marketing themselves and they do, uh, some of them at least write quite a bit of content. But going that next step and, and releasing something for sale like an ebook is pretty rare. Um, I'm not going to say I've made huge amounts of money from it but it's um for me it was more a matter of packaging up everything i had um assembled if you like on the gpl um and making it available in a single place uh where people can get it if um if you had to if you had a gpl question and you and you did a search on the gpl on my site for example you'd hit you get a huge number of hits because i talk about the gpl a lot um so that was one of the drivers yeah yeah i mean this is like I mean, I, I just want everybody who who starts a, a WordPress business <laughs> to to buy this book. Like, if you're listening to this right now, I, I I feel comfortable saying, stop listening to the podcast right now. Head over to wpandlegalstuff.com and just buy the book. Uh, let me scroll down. It's and this is forty five twenty five bucks for just the book, forty five, and then one seventy five. I mean, this is worth ten times that at every level. Uh, and I don't really ever go nuts promoting a product on my show if folks know that it's been following me for some time like this stuff is is worth it it's an education worth every single penny so so thank you for producing this kind oh, of thanks product. for those kind words much appreciated um you know it's definitely one of those things that is you know folks don't know about it. they just look at it and they say hey the gpl is free which means i can do anything yep. um you know here's something of 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 interest uh recently and I'm going to botch the name because I can't remember the name of the product right now. Uh, either way, I was in the Beaver Builder um, uh, Facebook group the other yeah. day. And somebody somebody posted that. Oh, it's, I think it's called Tesseract, I believe is the name yeah. of it. So there's a theme out there called Tesseract. And they recently forked, um, you know, core Beaver Builder plugin, which is a page builder if you yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, or folks don't listen, if folks don't listening that don't know. Um, so they 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 forked it, and the community is is like, you know, up in arms that they forked it, um, mainly because on the Tesseract website they are demonstrating Beaver Builder with actual Beaver Builder media assets still in the screenshots and in the video tutorials and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know this is I'm just throwing this one right at you, but on one hand, hey, this is 
this is the world we live in with GPL code. Anybody can fork anything. However, maybe not those media assets and, and branding materials, but from your perspective, I mean, what's the one thing that you would say to somebody that says that's sort of up in arms about this kind of thing uh, with the GPL and forking types of software? Um, well, look, as you'll, as you'll know, Matt, and as, as many of your listeners will know, there's no problem with uh, making a fork of GPL licensed code, whether it's a plugin or a thing. Um, that's partly why the code has been GPL'd in the first place. Uh, but it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Um, for example, you still have to make sure that you comply with the notice and attribution requirements uh, that are set out in the GPL. You need to be careful that you don't go and use uh, a trademark um, that the original code owner has in relation to the product uh, in a way that could be misleading or suggest that you have a relationship with them. Um, as a matter of tort law, you need to make sure that you don't uh, give an impression that you're somehow connected uh, with the original code owner. Um, and you need to be careful not to uh, to breach any copyright that they have in other assets. So, for example, you can't just go and take stuff off their website uh, that's not GPL licensed and reproduce it on your own. So, yes, on the one hand, uh, taking another person's plug-in, forking it, uh, no problem, but you, there are limits, there are constraints, and if you don't do it properly, uh, then you could find yourself uh, in legal trouble. Switching gears up a little bit, I'm going to lean on some of the uh the questions that that you outlined. Uh, this one in particular, and this is one that I've never really put much weight into thinking about until I've actually read it here. <laughs> so let's say you're a WordPress business and you're just gearing up. Um, you don't have a name yet in brainstorming, but brainstorming a, a range of potential names. What, from a legal perspective, uh, do you need to look out for? Um, I think I can touch on a few points on this one. Um, and they relate to choosing a name that doesn't sound like someone else's. Um, there are some domain name issues that people may want to know about. Um, and then we can talk about uh, the circumstances in which you can use the, the name WordPress and the WordPress logo in connection with your business or product. Um, starting with the first of those, it'll sound obvious, but you shouldn't um, choose a name for your business or your product or service that is either the same as or similar to someone else's. Um, particularly if they are in a similar area of business. Um, why shouldn't you do that? Well, there are two main reasons. First of all, you're not really uh, setting yourself apart. You're not really showing much creativity if you do that. Um, but from a legal perspective, uh, you could be breaching various laws. Um, you could find yourself um, on the end of what's called a cease and desist letter from uh, the other party's lawyers accusing you of all dastardly things and demanding that you stop using the name um, uh, for fear of court action. Um, they could also take you to court, and if they were to do that, they might allege that you've breached a trademark or they might allege that you're passing off uh, as having some relationship with them. Um, in some countries, you might be breaching fair trading laws, and uh, in, in, in a small number of cases, you, you might be uh, breaching copyright. Needless to say, um, if you have to go through that, it might, it might affect your reputation. Um, and if you have to uh, choose a, a new name, as some people in the WordPress community have, um, you'll be subject to an increase in your costs. So they're the main reasons really why, why you need to be a bit careful about that. Um, what I've just, just said does beg the question as to how do you find out um, if a name you have in mind is similar to, to someone else's. Um, Google is obviously a great friend in this regard, um, and you can also search through the trademark registers 
uh, in your country. Um, and you probably want to look and trademark registers abroad also if you want to establish business in other countries. Um, if you want to do a fully a full-on detailed search, then you can consult a, an IP lawyer um, to help you. But um, I think you can do a lot of the groundwork yourself. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let's talk about the the product development side. Uh, one point that you bring up uh, in these other in the questions that you sent over was, hey, some folks need to think about the development of the code that they're actually. Um, putting together for a product. And, and one here, I'm kind of mashing up two of your questions here, is one is, let's say you go out for some coding assistance, like you're building a product and all of a sudden you go, oh, you know, I need a hand, let me head over to Codable um, and get, uh, you know, I don't know, a developer to finish up this add-on for me, right? Or if you're, if you're listening to all of these internet marketers in the world and they're like, yeah, I built, a, <laughs> I built my own software platform by outsourcing it to Fiverr. Um, what types of things do people have to think of in these scenarios when they're coding their site and maybe even going or coding their plugin and maybe even going? This episode of The Matt Report is brought to you by the team at Valet. Valet helps brands unleash their potential with real-time metrics, intelligent recommendations, and that age-old method of having an awesome team to back it all up. See, my friends at Valet are up to something really, really cool. But first, let me ask you this question. Every time you build a website for a client, don't you feel like you're making the web a better place? Well, here's the thing. Valet's got something in the works that will let you back that claim up. It's called Valet Metrics, and you can get your free website snapshot over at valetmetrics.com. It's an amazing tool. You get in-depth analysis of a website covering security, speed, usability, traffic, conversions, all wrapped up in this beautiful reporting dashboard that provides action not fluff. You and Valet, making WordPress and the web a better place. Get your snapshot at valetmetrics.com. Uh, there's some good questions, Matt. Why don't I um, address each of them in turn, um, starting off with uh, things that developers may wish to think about when they start coding up their own product. Uh, and then I'll jump uh, later on into questions that you may want to think about if you are seeking third-party assistance. Um, the main legal issues uh, that a developer may wish to think about are copyright related and there are also some issues that arise from rules in the uh, wordpress.org uh, repositories if you want to um, submit your theme or plug in there that people may need to think about. Uh, starting with copyright then, um, one question is whether you're going to develop your product from scratch or whether you're going to use some freely available third party resources to speed up your development. Um, if you develop from scratch, then you may have greater control over the licensing of your product. And that might not be intuitive in this uh, land of the GPL, so maybe I can um, talk you through that. Um, as I'm sure you will remember, in 2009, Matt Mellenweg sought a legal opinion from the Software Freedom Law Center on the application of the GPL2 themes. And um, perhaps to the surprise of some, uh, the center came out with an opinion which said that the PHP files and integrated HTML within a theme are derivative of uh, WordPress code and therefore uh, need to be licensed under the GPL. But other assets in a, in a theme folder, for example, such as images, um, style sheets and fonts, they are not derivative of WordPress code. They can be treated as a separate bundled assets and do not need to be licensed under the GPL. Um, they, they can be, but they don't have to be. And, and what this means is that split licensing of themes is legitimate 
under the GPL. This is what Theme Forest did from the beginning, I think, or at least for a long time. Um, doing that's legitimate. And the reason then why uh, coding your own theme from scratch may give you more control is that you will be able to split license if you want to. Now, I'm not saying that split licensing is necessarily a great thing uh, from a community perspective, but um, you, you may have more control if you want to go down that path. Um, now, what's the position if you base your development on third-party resources? So let's take a scenario where you um, use underscores, for example, as a basis for your theme, or you might fork an existing plugin. In these kinds of scenarios, you may have less control over the licensing of your product. Um, in the underscores scenario, for example, that's uh, a theme released by Automatic, licensed under the GPL, 100%. Um, you're going to have to license your derivative theme, uh, probably um, more so than if you coded it up from scratch under the GPL. Um, but this distinction, you know, it, it might not be a massive deal for those people who want to 100% GPL license anyway, but it's something that some people who are commercially minded want to think about, might want to think about. Um, and the other point I just talked about here is um, uh, about using third party uh, in your, it's an issue about using third party assets in your theme that relates to this notion of GPL compatibility. Um, now look, this, is, this notion of GPL compatibility can be quite complex. Um, there can be many permutations with different outcomes. Um, but with that said, I thought I'd just uh, walk you through a fairly simple use case. Um, now, let's say that you are forking a GPL licensed plugin um, and you're incorporating a large chunk of separate third party code in the plugin's main PHP files. Now, if you're doing that, you will be creating, certainly creating a deriv derivative work of the forked uh, plugin. Um, but you will also be incorporating this third-party code as part of the core of your new forked plugin. In other words, it will be part of the derivative work. Now, the GPL requires you to release that derivative work, these particular um, uh, PHP files in this example, under the GPL. Uh, but for you to be able to do that, you need to make sure that that third-party chunk of code that you've pulled in is either licensed under the GPL or licensed um, under a GPL compatible license. So, so that's, that, that can be an issue that can trip people up, um, but just something to think about. So if, uh, let's say, so, you know, let's say somebody's trying to be, I don't know, maybe, maybe malicious is the wrong word, but uh, entrepreneurial, uh, capitalist, and they say, hmm, there's this plugin out there, it's free, I'm going to fork it, and then uh, within that fork, I might add in, I don't know, three, 400 lines of my own custom PHP to change things up a little bit and sort of, quote, unquote, make it mine. By law, that the, the code that they enter in, in that fork, that should be also, that should also be GPL. Is, is that correct on how I'm breaking that down? Yeah, that, yes, that's right. If, if, if you take someone else's GPL uh, licensed, plugin, you fork it, you add some bits and pieces of your own code in this example, the GPL requires you to release the entirety of that derivative work uh, under the GPL. Um, you have no choice. Uh, that's upon distribution. You can do it internally, of course, whatever you like, but if you distribute, then you have to uh, 
uh, release under the GPL. And and I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. What if it were uh, you fork it, but the the code that you sell is in an add-on plugin? Or, you know, they they the transaction is created by purchasing the add-on, which just you know increases that forked plugin to do something else. You can change colors or whatever. Um, would it work in that model, or it doesn't matter? It's it's compatible with that GPL code, therefore it has to be released as well. Uh, well, you've raised a really complex issue there. So, so uh, are you thinking of a scenario, for example, where someone builds an add-on to an existing plugin like Gravity Forms? Yeah, that, that can be. That's a really um, can be a very complex issue. Let's say that the uh, that the plugin itself is licensed under the GPL. There are different schools of thought um, as to whether add-ons which um, simply look with or interact with uh, the GPL license code themselves need to be GPL licensed. And um, it's a massively thorny issue. I talk about it um, in, in quite a bit of detail on WP and legal stuff in a, in a post that I think is called The Conundrum of Derivative Works. And the answers, on, the answers to those questions might differ in different countries, and there's very little case law on it in the context of the GPL. So a very hard question, <laughs> I think, that you've raised. Right, and I'm certainly not advocating anybody take these practices that I kind of craft up here and, and try to pursue them by any means. Um, but uh, just interesting to think about. Um, we yeah. talked about the codable thing. Are there particular pain or particular areas that people have to pay attention about the code that they're getting from from a third party? That's something you haven't mentioned yet because they maybe they are a a third party. I mean, are they sort of uh, entitled to I don't know like royalties to some degree, or they have to be doing things at GPL? What is that? How does that shake down? Yeah. Um, well, if you're uh I suppose there are a few potential issues here, but uh, um, to start with, I'll say that if, if you are seeking third-party coding assistance from, from anyone, it could be Codable or, or whoever else, y- you will want to be clear on the underlying contractual terms that govern the relationship. Um, and in particular, you want to be clear about who owns the intellectual property, largely copyright, uh, that will arise in their new creations. Um, you will want either to own the copyright yourself or at least have a very broad license to use it. Now, if you are um, licensing your product under the GPL and if this code that you're getting from them is an integral part of uh, your work, then you will want to make sure that you have the rights that enable you to release under the GPL. Um, Another issue that I think developers need to be, uh, sorry, that people who are getting developer help need to be careful about is whether the developers you're using are using pre-existing code in the work that they do for you. And the reason for that is that you you may not know what licenses uh, that pre-existing code is licensed under, but it's something you certainly need to know, especially if you're going to be selling your products. Um, Now, just going back to Codable, Codable does this pretty well, I think. Um, The terms of use that it has, which apply between... um, uh, someone seeking assistance from a developer and the developer him or herself, those terms say that copyright in the developed code passes to you, um, the party that's purchasing it, passes to you once you pay for it. Um, and they, they also say that uh, the developer is not allowed to use any pre-existing code without your prior written consent. So as I say, they, they are doing a good job there, I think. Yeah, that that's definitely a scenario that I've 
that's never even crossed my mind. <laughs> now, I, I haven't used a, a service like Codable to do anything like that, but I can certainly see, uh, again, you know, sort of one of the, the things that I am, uh, you know, not pursuing, but uh, sort of always um, guessing and challenging is, you know, you listen to other podcasts and you talk to other people and they're, you know, these internet marketers out there and they just say, yeah, the quick fix is hire somebody, you know, from Fiverr or whatever. Yep. And I'm just like, man, I can't even like, I live and breathe this stuff and I can't find somebody good in these areas. <laughs> I, and, and when I do find somebody, there's communication issues, there's expectation issues, there's pricing and there's like that whole like project management aspect of it that becomes a challenge. But man, if you actually start to think about using the code that somebody else has built for you. So let's say everything up, everything goes aces up and you're, you know, they, they build it to you on time. Uh, they're under budget. Communication was great. You go to market and then all of a sudden you find out that they, you know, ripped code from somebody else. That is serious business that, that people don't even, I never even hear come up in other conversations. Oh, absolutely. I, I've come across it in the context of a commercial plugin, and all the code was maintained on GitHub. And you will know this plugin. I'm not going to mention it, but um, it's a very successful plugin. Uh, it's been on the market for years. Uh, and then all of a sudden, someone comes out of the woodwork and says, oh, you've, you've taken just a little bit of our code, um, and you don't have our permission to use it. That, the person that was alleging that against the plugin owner then complained to GitHub, and GitHub, uh, as is their normal policy, took down the GitHub repo um, for, for, for this plugin, which was a massive problem uh, for the plugin owner. And it may well be that the party that was alleging copying uh, was wrong. Um, but, yeah, so you do, you do need to be very careful about this issue. And it's easy to just sort of, you know, pull someone else's code into your, into your work without actually thinking about the licensing that, that applies to it. You are going independent of a marketplace. How, you know, how, how does one actually create... In terms of use, I know this is a huge topic, but you know wh what's the starting point to get something like that done? Um, you know, especially if somebody has limited resources, they haven't actually sold the product yet, um, they don't know if it's actually going to be viable. Where does one turn to to create yeah. a, at least some kind of fundamental agreement with their customer? Yes, yeah, so sorry, you're breaking up, but I think you were. Um raising the scenario of, of how do you go about getting your terms of use developed if you have your own independent sales channel. Yeah. Um, well, look, what, what, what I see some people do is they just um, beg, steal, and borrow bits of um, legal terms from across the internet, which is usually a recipe for disaster because they won't think about all the issues that, that they need to work through. Um, the alternative is to go to a lawyer, uh, and that if if the lawyer is drafting it from scratch, it can you know it could well cost you several thousands of dollars to get some terms of use done. Um, you can find some uh, templates, uh, general templates on the internet, but they're not WordPress specific. Um, now, look, this will this will sound like I'm trying to sell my own product. I'm I'm, I'm honestly not, but um, I was mindful of this. So, in in the business package of the um, of the ebook that you mentioned earlier. I've actually built a, a terms of use builder for WordPress uh, product shops and you can go through a, an online form and fill in a bunch of details and it will spit out for you a set of terms which um, I think ought to cover the main 
uh, things that you need to have, the main protections, the main intellectual, intellectual property right provisions and so forth. Somebody buys something from you for, not you, your specific product, but a theme or a plugin, and let's say it's, I don't know, $49, $59. I mean, this is short money in terms of like, it might be a theme and it might power your entire WooCommerce store and you're making, you know, tens of thousands of dollars off of that. Is there a particular... Yeah. uh with the way that you see it done now in the WordPress space, the traditional way, you come and you buy a 59 bucks, it's used on one site, um, and you get the support and updates for a year. I mean, do we owe customers more than answering questions about our product? Like, how, like where do I upload the logo in your theme? Oh, you go to the options page. But then all of a sudden, the next question is, um, gee, it's not working with Ninja Forms. Can you help me fix that? And then you say, no, that's not our problem. And then they say, yeah, I'm using your theme. You should help me. Like, is there a legal binding uh, in any of this where maybe we should put in terms, like we don't help you any more than that? Or is it sort of like inherited that we have to help people at, at for these small price points? Yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting question, and probably subsumes quite a quite a few points. Um, the whole question of support obviously has been a challenging one for many product um, owners, and as you'll know, I think there have been theme shops that have gone out of business because they simply couldn't uh, keep up with the demand for support. And you know that was in the day when they were selling low cost themes. There were no uh, annual subscriptions or anything like that, and they they didn't place limits on how much support that they were to give. I mean, you you could put something like that in the terms of use. I, I haven't put that in my terms of use um, that I've drafted, but you could specify the limits of support that you will provide, um, or you could put them in guidelines on your support site that are cross-referred to from your terms of use. So there are means of uh, making that clearer. Um, I, I, I've never come across a case where a person has made a legal complaint based on not being given enough support um, but I suppose it's possible. And, and, and actually kind of just rethinking that question, let's say somebody does buy a WooCommerce theme from a theme provider for, let's say, again, $59, and uh, something happens in the code. Um, let's say the, the theme author doesn't, um, doesn't update their styles for WooCommerce, and WooCommerce upgrades or updates, and all of a sudden the store's broken, and now this store owner... Uh, who used to make tens of thousands of dollars of sales per week uh, is is lost, right? It, they're losing out on all these sales. You know, if yeah. they say, "Guess what, Matt? I'm going to take you to court tomorrow because you've lost, you made me lose tens of thousands of dollars in sales." Does a judge look at that and then look at the store owner and say, "You only paid fifty nine dollars for this. What do you expect?" <laughs> uh, is there some? Uh legal thread in that or would you actually be on the hook for something like that um, well it will depend on the circumstances but the fact that you've only paid $59 is not necessarily an answer I mean it may be something that a court would look at as to whether it was reasonable um, for uh, for the claimant in this case to, to take the stance he or she's taking but as I say price is probably not going to be the determinant um, more relevant, I think, will be uh, how you've dealt with this issue um, in your terms of use when you're selling the theme 
And, and we can also, um, to the extent that it's code-oriented, um, there is a complete disclaimer of or exclusion of liability in the GPL itself. But if we focus on the terms of use, that's one area where I think it's very important uh, in your WordPress product terms of use to exclude all your liability to the maximum extent that you can under law and also to exclude all warranties in relation to your product to the extent that you can uh, under applicable law. Because if you have those terms in place, then if, then if in this kind of scenario that you paint, someone comes to you and says, right, you're on the hook for $10,000, you can say, well, no, I'm not, thanks very much. You agreed to these terms. You've got, no, you've got no case. And a judge ought to throw that sort of thing out. In, in the WordPress consulting space, sometimes uh, people see customers using page builders or you know 5,000 plugins to do one thing that they know one plugin will do better. Uh, and we yeah. start pulling our hair out and we say, you're not doing it the right way or you should be doing it this way. Is there something from the legal perspective that you see constantly where you're pulling your hair out <laughs> saying, no, no, you're doing it wrong. If you have just followed these simple steps, you wouldn't be in this issue. Is there one thing that you see as a, as a sort of a revolving um, you know, red flag that a lot of us are doing that after today we will stop doing? <laughs> uh-huh. um, well, there are, there are quite a few. Um, a lot of them stem from a misunderstanding of the GPL, um, people failing to um, keep original copyright notices in 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 uh, GPL license works that they make forks of or, or use as a basis for their own works. Um, and sometimes I think this is, just stems from, a, a, from ignorance, not understanding what the GPL requires. Um, but one other thing I thought I'd comment on, and it's, not, it's less prevalent now than it was, but there were a bunch of theme shops out there and I think some plug-in shops who were purporting to release their products under the GPL uh, so as to make it sound as though they're doing what's kosher. But then they would have these weird terms in their, in their terms of use which purport to limit uh, use of the theme to one site. And then you go on and you have to pay more if you want to use it for five sites or ten sites. That's completely wrong and um, I think you know, it doesn't do any good for your business. Um, I think if you're going to license under the GPL, you need to um, observe the GPL freedoms. Um, actually, that's a great let's, – let's circle back and, and dissect that one a little bit. In that scenario, because that's a very common pricing scenario, right, or yeah. or marketing play, pricing sales play, whatever, is one site, five sites, 20 sites, uh, all different price points. If How does one sort of circumvent that? Where, because, they, because we know as product people that, okay, my support cost for one site is X, X. Uh, if they have 10 sites and I'm supporting them across 10 different installations, well, now my support on that plan is Y. Uh, and then if I move up, of course, it keeps going up exponentially as the amount of sites that you release or the amount of sites yeah. that you support. Uh, because we're so anchored to one site, 10 sites, 50 sites, how, you know, what's in your eyes, what's the best way to kind of structure that pricing or sales page? Yeah, well, I think the trick is not to treat it as a matter of GPL licensing, right? So if you release something under the GPL, um, then your users can use it on as many sites as they want. The better way of dealing with it is to put some sort of access or license key process in place so that they have to enter a license key uh, if they want to get support or, or, or updates. Um, you can do that. Um, and then you can say, well, yes, we will provide support for five sites, 10 sites, 20 sites, whatever it is. So that's, that's some way to, uh, that can go some way to control your exposure to 
a massive proliferation of sites for a single site um, cost, for example. Yeah, and, and so you know, basically, the issue becomes, or the original issue is, well, you know, if you have the same file or the, the same theme that you're selling or releasing, but no licensing scheme, and you're just like arbitrarily saying like, oh, one site, 100 sites, right? There's no real yeah. indicator that says, you know, that you're actually tracking those amount of sites and that you're actually providing support across to those multiple instances, uh, you know. It, yeah, that's it, right. It comes across as, it comes across as disingenuous to gotcha. me. Um, and I'd be reluctant to buy a, a theme from a site that did that. Gotcha. I'm, I'm a lawyer, of course, but... Um, <laughs> I, I, I would be reluctant. There, there is sort of a related issue. I don't know whether you want to touch yeah, on it, but absolutely. it's you know, how can a, a theme or plugin owner protect commercial protect itself commercially from people who buy their product theme or, or plugin and then go and resell it on their own sites? Is there a way to restrict that given the freedoms of the GPL? Um, shall I talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Briefly? I'd love to hear it. This is this. What I'm going to suggest is a, a potentially contentious point. Um, just to track back a little bit, we've already mentioned that, of course, if you do it properly, you can resell a commercial uh, plugin or theme that you purchase from somewhere else if it is if it is 100% licensed under the GPL. So that's the starting point. But equally, you know, businesses like yourself who create products, they don't want other people to take uh, your product and then on sell it. Um, essentially, freeloaders, I suppose. Um, is there anything you can do to prevent that? Well, I think there is, and you can add a term to your terms of use, uh, which essentially says uh, if you use your access key um, in a manner that we haven't authorized under our terms, and for example, your terms might say you're only allowed it for one site, uh, you, you can only get support and updates rather for one site, you can't share your, your access key with someone else and so forth. If you find that someone is doing that, um, for example, to enable them to provide support to a whole lot of their customers, um, then this term that I'm talking about would say, we have the right to terminate your access to uh, updates and support. Now, that's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a fully robust solution, uh, but at least it goes some way to saying to them, if you uh, don't play nicely with us, um, we aren't going to continue to providing you with any more updates or support, even if you've paid for it a year in advance. And contractually, that's perfectly legitimate. Um, there are some people who say, who scream, oh, that's, that's inconsistent with the GPL, but it's not. Um, you're not doing anything inconsistent with the GPL. You can still use the software that you have in your hands uh, consistently with the GPL freedoms, but you are being subjected to a separate commercial arrangement um, with the product owner, which says, if you don't play nicely with us, if you try and rip us off, we're not going to continue helping you out. Richard, this has been an amazing episode. Uh, some technical glitches, but we got through it. Uh, I want to give you the microphone now, and I want you to pitch your products. I want you to sell it to us because <laughs> I think that everyone uh, should be aware of what you do and what you create. Uh, where can folks buy your products? Feel free to pitch, which I don't let everybody do. You are That's probably the only person I've ever done this for. But feel free to sell away um, and pimp your products. Uh, where can they find? Well, oh, that's extremely kind. That's extremely kind, Matt. Thank you. But I'm, I'm going to start off by talking about some freebies. Actually, I, I, I I've got a section on WP and legal stuff, 
that I think some people don't know about. It's it's headed freebies on, on at, the, at the top, and there are three things in there that people can have if they want. Um, the first one is there. There's a legal checklist uh, that bloggers can can use to work through all the legal issues that they may face as bloggers. Um, that's the first thing. Um, I've also put up there some uh, multi-site terms of use, uh, business terms of use, and affiliate linking policies for people who wish to set up uh, multi-site oriented businesses. Um, and the third thing is now escaping my mind. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. You've got build your own privacy policy based on on mine. Uh, understand the legal stuff that bloggers need to know. Protect your WordPress consultancy with terms of business. And oh, that's the, that's the other one. Yeah, that's the other one. Thank you. The other one is terms of business for uh, WordPress consultants. So you know, in, in addition to all the product businesses, there are lots of um, WordPress uh, consultancy businesses. People helping others understand and use WordPress. They too need um, decent contracts, just like anyone else. And so I've put up some um, sample uh, letter of engagement in terms of business that they can use as a starting point if they want. Um, in terms of my products, I mean, the as a lawyer, I don't have many products per se. I've, at the moment, I've only got um, the the ebook you mentioned, the Practical Guide to WordPress and the GPL. Um, so that's obviously something people can go out and buy if they want. Um, um, the other thing I'm working on, just to mention, is I'm, I'm working on a book at the moment on uh, WordPress product businesses in particular and working through a whole range of legal issues that people may need to think about. And so it covers everything we've discussed today as well as a whole lot more besides. Um, I don't yet, don't yet know when that's coming out, but I will be putting up a, a, a form on the site that people can sign up to if they want to hear more about that. It's WP and Legal Stuff. Dot com. Richard Best, an amazing episode. Where can folks find you to say thanks? Um, they can find me at wpandlegalstuff.com. There's, uh, there's a contact form and they can ask questions if they want there. So if people have any questions, legally oriented questions about uh, WordPress, the WordPress ecosystem, please feel free to ask them. It's a very good source of information for me to, to write posts. I've written a number of posts um, as a result of direct questions through there. You know, you don't. Sometimes you don't think about the issues until people um, face them on the front line. So, please feel free. Can my colleagues in the U.S. hire you in the U.S.? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um, they can and they can't. I, I, I'm not a U.S. qualified lawyer. I, I'm qualified in two countries, but not the U.S. So, um, I wouldn't be providing U.S. legal advice. I could provide um, consultancy advice that is. I suppose you could say it's legal in nature, but it's 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 not pursuant to a, a lawyer-client relationship. Um, so that they could do that, yes. Um, I've I've had a few um, instructions internationally, um, but I need to be careful about when and when I don't say I'm providing legal advice. Sure. <laughs> uh, great stuff, Richard. Everybody else, MattReport.com/slash/subscribe. This has been season four of the Matt Report. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, there were. Uh, 10 episodes released uh, on October 20th, I think. <laughs> this is me talking in the future, referencing the past. Uh, I don't know if it all planned out, uh, played out the way I expected it to. 
lots of uh, sort of editing and some marketing stuff to do. But hopefully everything went out on the 20th, and I hope you enjoy it. Netflix style. So you go to mattreport.com slash season four, consume all of the uh, audio on that page. And then if you only subscribe on iTunes uh, or another sort of podcatcher, those will go out in their normal cadence every week or so. So stay tuned. Uh, to those as they slowly come out to you. But again, it's mattreport.com slash season four to capture them all. Binge listen uh, as you would uh, any Marvel action movie on Netflix. <laughs> House of Cards, whatever it is that you like to binge on Netflix, we'll do the same thing there. Mattreport.com slash subscribe. Thanks, everybody. Hey everyone, did you enjoy this episode? Head on over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. It really helps. I say it all the time, but it definitely, definitely does. Always reach out to our guests and say thanks. Uh, we always link them up at the end of the show to share their Twitter account or wherever they can be found online. So make sure you go ahead and do that. They spend a lot of time with us. And thank our sponsors, Pagely and Valet, for keeping the Matt Report going until the end of the year. If you're interested in sponsoring the Matt Report, you can get a hold of me. MattReportBlog at gmail.com or just MattReport.com slash contact. Reach out. Uh, we are looking for sponsorships going into 2017. Again, if you want to sponsor one of the premier WordPress podcasts out there, go ahead and reach out. MattReport.com slash contact.